I'd like to start right here. Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. It's interesting, there was a king that died, and, and Isaiah knew the king, but this was different to see the king of kings sitting on the throne. He says, I, I saw the Lord. Uzziah died, but I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is is full of His glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And we're going to stop right there. We, the Bible says that this angel, when, the, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, he saw Him in His glory. He saw Him lifted up. And he, when he did see Him in that way, in that glory, he was undone. Isaiah was a godly man before this. Isaiah was a man of God before this. And, but when he saw the Lord in His holiness and His glory, he felt undone is the way he put it. He confessed his sin and his sinfulness his sinful condition. And God quickly took care of that. Amen? An angel flew from the altar and grabbed a, a coal of live fire, touched his lips and says, your sin is taken away, your iniquity is purged. And we're going to speak, y'all, for probably about the next four, possibly five weeks on the altar. I, I just felt the, the Lord really needing me to do that. I'm excited about it. I feel like I've scratched the surface of it. I've been studying for quite a while now, uh, preparing for this. We're going to start today. This will be the first part, part in this series on the altar. And I'll tell you this, and I'm going to repeat it often. The altar speaks of Christ. Okay, so I, I think this is a wonderful thing to take notes on. Get the Scriptures. Maybe one day you'll open it up and go back and look over the Scriptures, if nothing else, and go back and study this. But the altar speaks of Christ and a type of Christ or a shadow of Christ. All right. And so the word altar, this is not the definition. We'll give the definition a little bit. But the word altar refers to that which is lifted up and elevated. To that which is lifted up and elevated. And Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. The altar is a picture or a type of Christ. It speaks of Christ. The word altar is used some 430 times. I was counting through my concordance. I hope I got it right. Uh, 430 times in the Scriptures. The Hebrew word, it comes from the Hebrew word mezbiach, which comes from the word zabak, which means to slaughter. It means to slaughter an animal, usually for sacrifice. To kill, to offer, to do sacrifice or a place of sacrifice. And the Bible says in in Isaiah 53, which is a messianic passage in Isaiah, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. 
And as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. We're going to study for a few weeks the altar in the Bible. Okay? What does it mean? What is its significance? What's its purpose of the altar? And then we're going to talk about what do we mean as churches today when we say the altar or let's come and pray at the altar. What does it mean? What's the significance of it? Why do we have an altar in our church that the Lord used Chris to build? And uh, we're waiting on some kneeling benches soon so we don't hurt our knees. But we're having those soon too. Uh, but basically, y'all, the, the, uh, the altar is uh, both a place of sacrifice and a meeting place with God. It's both. It's a place of sacrifice and a meeting place with God. These are just some of the basics. I think it would be wonderful if you would take notes on this and just jot these main, main things down. But the first time the word altar is used in the Bible is in Genesis. Okay, before the law. All right, the first time that word is used is in Genesis 8. Now, I'm just going to read it because for time's sake, I have a lot of scriptures I'm going to read today. So for time's sake, some will turn to, but most of them I've written out and I'm going to read them to you. Genesis 8, after the flood uh, ceased and, and the waters receded and the ground finally dried out enough, the Lord told Moses and his family, you know, come on down out of the ark. And when he, when he did, Noah built an altar unto the Lord. That's the first time it's used in the Bible. Noah built an altar unto the Lord. Genesis 8, 20-22. And took of every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings. That's significant. We're going to talk about this. Burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor and the Lord said in His heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. While the earth remaineth seed time and harvest and cold and heat, summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. That's the first time altar is used. And so uh, it's, it's interesting. A lot of times when you're studying a word, it's good to see where it's used the first time and how that was brought into, into the Bible and how into mankind or relationship with God. And so we go on and we quickly see a pattern from there where men began to call upon the Lord with an altar. They'd build an altar and they'd offer to God. They'd sacrifice to God. They began to call upon the Lord and to meet with God and God would meet with them there when they came by faith, genuinely. Not some idolatrous type of thing, but reality. So the next place that we see an altar used is with Abraham, where the Lord makes His covenant with Abraham. It says, and He called him to go and leave the land of his nativity. And Abraham passed through the land unto the place of Shechem, unto the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence uh, unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Then we see later in his life. Oh, this is not every time, but I'm just trying to tr- trace a pattern. Okay, In Genesis 22, when God required him to make the hardest sacrifice of all, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son of the promised Isaac, whom you love, and I want you to offer him to me on the mountain that I'm going to show you uh, in Mount Moriah, which is actually a, mount- a mountain range. It may not be a specific mountain. And it says, and they came to the place, as Abraham and Isaac, to the place which God had told him of. 
And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him upon the altar of wood. Again, we know the, the story that God spared him and there was a ram caught, but something was offered and blood was shed on that altar. And it was a ram that God supplied in the stead or in the place of his son Isaac. So we see Isaac later makes an altar and calls upon the God of Abraham. And we see Jacob uh, build an altar and he calls upon the God of Israel. We see Moses after the Amalekites were defeated and God gave them a victory over the Amalekites when they held up his hands, Aaron and Hur. He built an altar there and called on the Lord our banner. And we see this through the Scripture. Joshua built an altar and called upon the Lord. David built an altar. I'm going to read this. 1 Chronicles 21, 25-27. I'll go on and read it, but this is where David had uh, gotten out of the will of God. He had sinned. And it must have been some type of pride in his heart. This was later in his life when he had... Uh, and he became king and Saul was killed and now the kingdom's David's and he had had a lot of victory that God had given him in his life and now he's on the throne and he must have gotten lifted up in himself and he wanted to number the armies of Israel and see how big a fighting force do I have see how how mighty and powerful our army is and even as General Joab said why does the king delight in this God makes your armies as many as he wants them to make you know don't worry about that but the king's word prevailed, and we preached on this not long ago. So he numbers the children of Israel, and he soon realizes uh, that he has sinned. God smites his heart, and God sends a plague among the people of Israel. And there's this angel of death that's literally killing the, the Israelites because of David's sin. That doesn't mean they died and went to hell. It means that he was he brought a plague upon the land for David's sake. Other people do suffer in our sin. You can't go to hell because I, I don't, I'm not right with God. But people can suffer in our sin. That's not what the point of this is. But David sees there's 70,000 people so far that have died. 70,000. You can read it in 1 Chronicles 21. So David sees the angel about to go further and kill more people. And he sees him in the... In the uh, David uh, gave to Ornan. There, there was a, a vineyard there and a place there and Ornan was the man's name. And the angel had kind of stopped right there. David saw the angel. He repents. He, he turns to the Lord asks for forgiveness. Why are these innocent sheep, he says, dying for my sin? It's a good attitude to have. Amen? And the Lord stopped the plague. But there had to be some sacrifice offered. Something had to be done. There was sin. And something had to be offered. So David gave to Ornan for the place. He bought that little parcel of ground. And it's believed that that's where, uh, well, it's not just believed, that's where the temple was later built. Solomon's temple was built on that site, okay? Which a lot of people believe was actually the place uh, where Abraham had offered Isaac as well. But I know for sure that that is where the temple was built. So he offered to Ornan for the place 600 shekels of gold by weight. And David built there an altar unto the Lord. And guess what he did? And offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called upon the Lord. And the Lord answered him from, from heaven by fire. So God came down upon the altar of the burnt offering. And the Lord commanded the angel and he put up his sword again in his sheath thereof. That was the end of the plague. 
It was stayed. So another, uh, one more. I want to read one more scripture real quickly about seeing the pattern of the altar in the Old Testament. Second Chronicles 1, David's son Solomon becomes uh, king. He built, the, he built the temple. It was an amazing thing. God had put it in David's heart to do. Solomon's actually the one that built it. Solomon went up there to the brazen altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of the congregation and offered a thousand burnt offerings upon it. In that night did God appear unto Solomon and said unto him, ask what I, I shall, ask what I shall give thee. So there's a sacrifice. This is the pattern I want to see, a sacrifice and a meeting place. Sacrifice to God, a meeting place with God. And we're studying the altar. The altar speaks of Christ. It speaks of Christ. It speaks of different aspects of His ministry. Basically, we see two different altars. Not just physically that there were two. Two different types of altars in the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, and even in heaven. We're going to look at altar in heaven. But the, there's two different types of altars. And the first would be the altar of sacrifice. And the tabernacle was called the brazen altar because it was covered with brass. It's, it was a place of sacrifice, of burnt offerings. There was bloodshed there. There was fire, which often speaks of God's judgment there. And um, this altar represents Jesus' finished work on the cross. It represents that. So if you're writing down uh, the altar of sacrifice in the tabernacle and temple, the brazen altar it was called, or at least in the tabernacle, this sacrifice, um, this altar was a place of sacrifice and bloodshed. It spoke of God's judgment and it represents the finished work of Jesus of redemption for mankind where He died and shed His blood as a substitute for man's sin to make atonement for the sins of the world. The final sin sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And all, all of it pointed to Jesus, right? All those blood sacrifices in the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. The second type of altar that we see or the purpose of a, another altar was the altar of incense, also called the golden altar. Altar of incense or the golden altar, it was in the holy place within the temple or the tabernacle and in the temple. And it's spoken of in, in heaven as well. And I, and I want to read uh, this scripture real quickly. Leviticus 9.7. This speaks of the altar of sacrifice. The first one I went to mention. And Moses said unto Aaron, Go unto the altar and offer thy sin offering and thy burnt offering and make an atonement for thyself and for the people. And offer the offering of the people and make an atonement for them as the Lord commanded. That's an altar of sacrifice where sin is dealt with. Where there's a sacrifice made for sin, there has to be bloodshed for that. Okay? Again, pointing to Christ. The golden altar, was there was no bloodshed there. It was a place of fellowship with God. Both would be meeting places of God and man. But the, the golden altar, or the altar of incense, represented a place of communion with the Lord, or fellowship with God. Uh, and it speaks of... Uh, of prayer, man's prayer, where you, you meet with the Lord. That's the incense that was continually to be offered up is representative of man's prayers going up to God. It's a sweet smell to him. The, the smell of that incense being lifted up, a perpetual incense. And the Bible says we're to pray without ceasing. And so that incense was to be burnt perpetually 
on the altar. I want to read a couple of scriptures about the golden altar. Uh, Revelation 9.13 And the sixth angel sounded and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God. That's in heaven. And uh, so it, I want you to uh, turn with me and read with me in your Bibles real quickly. Exodus chapter 30. We're going to read verses 1, then 6, then 8. We're going to skip down. Exodus 1, 6, and 8. I mean, Exodus 30, 1, 6, and 8. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. Of shittim wood shalt thou make it. Verse 6. And thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. Verse 8. And when Aaron lighted the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, or perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. And so that speaks to the altar of incense. It was actually in the tabernacle, in the holy place where the ark was actually sitting. And there's, uh, there's several other verses in Revelation that talk about the altar of incense that's before the Lord as well. I'll say this, that speaks, how does that represent Christ? That speaks of uh, His ongoing and current ministry as our intercessor and advocate at the right hand of the Father now. He ever lives to make intercession. And so it's a meeting place with God and we come through Jesus, but He's our advocate and our intercessor. There, weren't blood, there wasn't bloodshed and burnt sacrifices on the golden altar. That was on the brazen altar or the altar of sacrifice. So both speak of Christ. Both have their true meaning and their true fulfillment in Him, in Jesus. Okay? And both are meeting places with God. And the Lord chooses that place. Amen. Today, what we're going to talk about for the rest of this message today is going to be the altar of sacrifice or the brazen altar. Like I said, there were blood sacrifices. We looked at Noah and those before the brazen altar was actually commanded by God and built. But still, uh, as a place of sacrifice. So we're going to start in Exodus. We're all going to look at Exodus chapter 20. And read verses 22 through 26. It's earlier in this chapter that the law is given. The Ten Commandments are given by the Lord to Moses on the mount. And then the end of that chapter where the Ten Commandments are given, verse 22, And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall you make unto me gods of gold. An altar of earth thou shalt make unto me, and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings, and thy peace offerings, thy sheep, and thy oxen. In all places where I, where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. And if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone, for if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. And let's just stop right there. And so he gives the commandment for this altar to be made. And he says, I've chosen in verse 24 to meet you there and to record my name there. He said, I've spoken to you from heaven. But I'm, and it's like there's this new kind of revelation of God to men. People were saved before that. 
Enoch walked with God and the Lord took him. There were, there were New Old Testament believers even before this, even before the law, during the law, since the law. There have been believers of all generations. But God was continually bringing more and more revelation of the promised one of the Messiah. And He says, I'm going to meet you there at this place where the burnt sacrifices are made. All right? And I'm going to set my name there. So it was a place of worship. And one thing that becomes clear is that God's a God of order. And we're going to talk about this more in some other of the messages on the altar. It's not any old way that you and I choose to approach God. He begins to make it more clear. And it's very clear in the Bible that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You can't approach God any way you want. We cannot. We cannot come any way we want and be successful and be right and be redeemed. Uh, it's going to only be God's way. And he says right here that uh, in verse 24, you should make it of earth. Okay? I don't want you building in this, this altar, okay? I didn't, he didn't want to make it out of some fancy ornate thing where it was almost like a distraction or an object of worship itself. He wanted it to be uh, of earth. He says if you do make it out of stone, it's not to be made out of cut stone or hewn stone where it would be something really uh, that you might be prideful in. You just make it out of uncut stones. That's the type that Elijah, the prophet, built. Remember when he challenged the prophets of Baal? And he built an altar right there. They tried. They called upon their gods who couldn't send fire and consume their sacrifice. But he repaired the altar and put the stones in order. And he called upon the Lord and he sent the fire. Uh, and he says, if you lift up a tool upon it, you have polluted it. And I thought that was interesting. And y'all probably have studied stuff like this. It may not be the first time you've heard it. But what it speaks of when, when man, if you lift up your tools upon that altar and try to do something a little extra special with it. He says, you have polluted it. Okay, you have polluted it. That, that speaks of man's own attempts to be saved. Man's own attempts to be righteous, to be right with God, apart from God's provision, which is through Jesus Christ. You know, God's provision for, for man's salvation was through Jesus, even in the Old Testament. They just looked forward to Him. He hadn't come yet. But he was promised, okay? And uh, the Bible says, look unto me and be saved, Isaiah says. I'm reminded of that verse all the time. But any attempt of man, it's, it's just vain. Not only is it vain, but it's corrupt. It's evil. So not, is it weak, not only weak and can't accomplish what man would hope it would accomplish, it's also evil because it's prideful of man. Isn't that what happened at the Tower of Babel? They said, let us build a tower whose top reaches to heaven and let us make a name for ourselves. It's not our name. It's Jesus' name. We're called by His name. I don't care if people remember my name. Remember the one who saved me. He has the name above every name. For the Tower of Babel, they said, let us build a name for ourselves lest we be scattered. This tower that reaches to heaven. And it's the pride of man. And so he's saying, don't lift up your tools on this altar because the altar speaks of Christ. And man cannot add to the perfect, perfection of Christ. Alright? Cannot add to the perfection of Christ either by the tools of personal effort or steps of achievement. It wasn't supposed to have steps going up to the altar either. Alright? It, it, it's perfect in the Lord. The man's redemption can only be by faith and by God's grace. That's the only way. 
That's the only way it's ever been. It was, there wasn't a different type of salvation in the Old Testament. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. We believe. And it's counted to us for righteousness. We have the whole picture, the whole gospel. It's a historical fact. All the fulfillments. The Messiah has come. They look forward to Him coming. And all those sacrifices represented His coming the first time. They looked ahead and they lived and died before He came. But they still trusted in it. Those that were right with God and were saved. And we can add nothing to that. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by His mercy He has saved us. That, that just shows how man cannot add anything to it. Sinners can approach God only on the ground of shed blood. So we're going to talk a little bit more about this. And I'll read this Scripture from Joshua chapter 8, verse 31. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has lifted up any iron lift up any iron and they offered thereon burnt offerings unto the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. Joshua is saying, uh, Moses is saying in the book of Joshua that it was built the way that God said to. No man lifted up any tools on it and, and didn't have anything to do with it in that sense. They took whole stones and they offered burnt offerings on that. Now listen, I know that we know this. Sin had entered into the world long before this. We read when Adam sinned and Eve sinned that, that transgression came into the world. And the Bible says, there, Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin, so that sin, death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. In Romans chapter 5. Well, where do we see an altar there? We see an altar not specifically mentioned, but it's almost in context. That the Bible says in the process of time, you know, uh, Adam and Eve had two sons, right? The first two anyway. Cain and Abel. It says in the process of... And sin was in the world by that time. In the process of time, it says that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, he also brought the firstling of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and his offering had not respect. And God accepted the blood sacrifice. It wasn't just he liked Abel, Abel better or something like that. It wasn't a personal thing. This would have been a doctrinal thing. This would have been a truth thing. It would have been a spiritual thing. And he even gave Cain another chance. Why are, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do what's right, won't you be accepted? If not, it's because sin's lying at your door and ready to pounce upon you. And that sin's going to have the mastery over you if you don't deal with it. And instead of dealing with it humbly in confession and repenting and doing what God and offering the sacrifice that God required, he instead murdered his brother. But the, we do see the point, the word altar is not mentioned there, but we do see blood being shed. And we know that blood had to be shed when Adam and Eve sinned because God made clothing for them out of animal skins. So it wasn't a fruit. This wasn't the altar of incense and the prayers. This was an altar of, of, of where atonement was made. And for atonement to be made, there had to be blood shed. It's not my choosing. It's God's way. The wages of sin is death. And so there has to be atonement for death. Alright? For sin. And so the blood, we see it shed on the altar of sacrifice. And again, when it became the temple, temple and the tabernacle, it was called the brazen altar. But it speaks of Christ as the way 
to approach God through His blood. We know that. We understand that. Ethan read a lot of scriptures. I'm going to read some of them again from Hebrews. But man can contribute nothing. I keep saying that. Man can contribute nothing to his own salvation. We can believe with all of our heart upon Christ and what He did and His finished work. I can't add to that though. I must believe. Right? But I can't add to it. I'm not adding to my salvation. I'm not pulling myself up by my bootstraps. It's not half of God and half of me. He's not meeting us halfway. He came all the way. And He died. Okay? And I meet Him right there at the foot of the cross where He's already finished it. And I say, I believe. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. That's what the Bible says. And so, it speaks of the Lord. And... This this tap, this specific altar. Let's let's turn to uh, chapters twenty seven of Exodus. Now we're moving on to where God actually gives a command and a pattern. Okay, He's given Moses a pattern now for the tabernacle. It's really an amazing thing. God gives him the specifics. I mean, the material to be used for the tabernacle, the dimensions, what's going to go where. There was furniture all over it. You know, a golden lampstand, and there was. Uh, altar of sacrifice, an altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant with the, the cherubim's wings covering the Ark and the, everything. He gave specifics about it. And here He's given the specifics of the brazen altar or the altar of sacrifice. Exodus 27, 1 and 2. And thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square and the height thereof shall be three cubits. And thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horn shall be of the same. And thou shalt overlay it with brass. A lot of Bible scholars say brass could also refer, refer to bronze, which would be more of a mixture of brass and uh, I forgot what it may be, tin or one of the other metals. But the, the point of it was that it was, it was, he gave specifics. And again, God is a God of order. And remember, the Lord says, make sure you make it all, Moses, according to the pattern that I gave you. This is not you just take it from here. This is not just I planted a little thought and you go with it. Okay? What you think is good. No, you make it like I tell you to make it. You make it exactly like the pattern that I showed you on the mount. Every bit of it. The same thing was with the temple when that was built. But let's look at it for just a minute. The materials, this wood that was made, it says shittim wood. That's also another name for that is acacia wood. You might have heard of that before, acacia wood. And this is important, that the materials that were used to build this altar of sacrifice or this brazen altar. And this acacia wood, this acacia tree grows under the most severe and extreme conditions of the desert. So it's not just like every here, you know, throw anything out in the yard, it pretty much grows because of the weather and the climate that we have here. This tree grew under very extreme conditions. All right? It spoke of Jesus' humanity. And the Bible says, for he shall grow up in Isaiah 53 as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we, when we shall see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. That speaks only of His humanity, not of His glory you know, that He received when He rose and so forth. But in His humanity, 
there was nothing that just in his fleshly state that just drew men to him, especially on the cross. You know, beaten and bleeding and laying open like he was, his beard being ripped out, and uh, it, it was not uh, anything in the natural that would have been appealing. And so, this acacia wood, remember, everything in these Old Testament sacrifices, everything had a served a purpose to represent Christ. Everything. Both those altars, the mercy seat, the tabernacle, what the tabernacle was made of, all of it. And I'm not even exporting the golden lampstand and the incense. Everything typified something of Christ. And nothing more important than His work of redemption on the cross where blood was shed. And so that's why we're talking about this altar. But it was covered with brass, not gold, like the golden altar was actually made of the same wood, but covered with gold. There wasn't going to be fire. You just got to picture this. This is a rough and tough object. I mean, it sat on the outside uh, before you in the courts. Before you would, after you came through the gate, the first thing you would see would be this altar. Before you're getting into the tabernacle or the holy place or anything like that, you had to go come by this altar. And it was covered with brass because there was blood and fire and blood and fire and blood and fire constantly. There was nothing really pretty or like a pretty piece of artwork or something like that. It was, it was a workplace almost where a work of our salvation was accomplished. It was a sacrifice. And it was five cubits by five cubits square and three cubits high. A cubit is, is the length of a man's forearm, basically. That's what they used as a measurement. And it was a place uh, that was covered with brass so it could sustain the heat of the fire. That, that metal would melt. The brass could handle the gold. would not have endured that. But the brass could. And again, the fire oftentimes represents the judgment of God. And I'm going to read this scripture, Exodus 25:40. And, and look thou that they, thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. Again, man built it, but God designed it. Even this altar, man built it. He got workers who was in their heart to work and build, and they were ready to give to the Lord and sacrifice their, give their talents to the Lord, which was a wonderful thing. But God designed it. And man built it. And when it was finished, God could send the fire. Because he built it. He designed it. He made it the way he wanted. Man sent, God could send the fire. And it's just like on the cross. Man may have built a cross. Man may have driven spikes into our Lord's hands and wrists and feet and put a crown of thorns. But there, man's part was over. He laid down his life. Amen. God offered up his son. The Father delivered the Son. And it says in Acts 2.23, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Now we're relating the altar to Jesus. Okay? Man might have built the cross like man might have built the altar, but God designed it and provided it and accepted it and did it. Okay? It says Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Speaking of Christ, by His foreknowledge and purpose, He delivered Jesus. Ye have taken, He said, Peter said, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Men took Him and killed Him, but God offered Him up. It was His determined counsel and foreknowledge to do that. Again, man adds no part to that. It's, it's all the Lord and a work of the Lord. 
I want to read a couple of quotes from this book that I have here that I've been studying for quite some time. It says that Christ is not, I love this, determined of the Lord to give his son, right? And he says here, Christ was not the victim of some angry mob. He was not a martyr in the cause, in some good cause that failed. And I want this to sink in a little bit, because sometimes even in the churches, we get it a little out of whack. Maybe some book we read or movie we saw or something. I'm going to say it again. He was, Christ was not the victim of an angry mob. There's lots of those around the world. He was not a martyr in a cause of God that failed. By an act of his own will, he laid down his life for us. He said, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. And I say hallelujah to that. He was so in control, y'all. That's what I want us to see. He was so in control. Even at that moment where he's bitten, cursed and beaten and spat upon. And his body's laid open from a whip. And he hadn't slept all night. And the disciples are running off and scared. And people are, oh, if he's the Son of God, let him come down. We'll believe. Ha, ha, ha. And they're laughing and ridiculing. He was so in control. It was completely the way it was supposed to be. No man takes my life. I lay it down of my own accord. They sought to lay hands on him, but no man laid hands on him. The Bible says because his time was not come. Don't forget that. Angry mob could have taken him at any time and at other times. He says his hour was not come, John 7.30. No man laid hands, hands on him for his hour was not yet come, John 8.20. So it tells us that twice. But the night before the crucifixion, guess what? Jesus said the hour has come. Son of man is betrayed in the hands of, you know, of, of it says that the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And after making this statement, Jesus allowed himself to be arrested, scourged, and put on a cross. But no man took it. Amen? No man took it. God so loved the world, he gave. That's what the Bible tells us. And this altar of sacrifice speaks of Christ, speaks of Jesus. I have a little bit more, y'all, on this. I'm going to spend the remainder talking about the necessity of blood on the altar and the necessity of blood in our redemption. For man's sin. I said it earlier. We're going to look at some scriptures and get into it. But I want to read this as well. The brazen altar was a place of sacrifice. It foreshadowed the cross on which our Lord Jesus shed his blood for the sins of the world. The altar was the first piece of furniture the sinner encountered as he passed through the gate on the way to fellowship with God. So just picture it. They had some little barrier around it, you know, and you would enter in the gate and the first thing that would be facing you and you could not get past it without seeing it was the brazen altar. Bloodshed, bloodshed, bloodshed. Fire consuming it. Burn offerings, burn offerings. We're going to talk next week about fire on the altar, okay? But just for today. Um, It was the meeting place for God and it was a meeting place for a holy God and for sinful man. That first altar. Second was as well, but you had to go through the first one before you'd ever get to that golden altar inside the tabernacle or the temple or in heaven as well. And it was a place where he accepted a substitute. Now we're talking about 
and the brazen altar, okay? A substitute for man's sin. If man endeavored to approach God without the substitute, it meant certain death. The wages of sin is death. The only way a person can meet with God and live is to come by the way of God's substitute for sin. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. These people lived before the cross, but they still could be saved by trusting in a coming Savior. Don't ever forget that. Some people think there's nobody saved in the Old Testament. There were saved people. Amen. We're going to be with them. There's Abraham's bosom, you know, and, and so forth. And the Lord went and set him free and kept it free from paradise and brought him uh, to heaven with him when he rose from the dead the third day. They're Old Testament saints. But they look forward to it. The altar was a type of Christ. And so uh, it was a place of substitutionary sacrifice, a place of death. There, there the blood was poured out. The body was consumed by fire, which speaks of judgment. The altar in the tabernacle stood between the gate of entrance and the door to fellowship with God. It barred the way so that no approach to God was possible except by the altar. Same thing. No man's getting to the Father but by me, Jesus said. People say that sure is narrow-minded. You can say what you want. It's a narrow way. Narrow is the way. Straight's the gate. Narrow is the way that leads to heaven. Few there be that find it. But I've always said, and I heard old preachers say, it's a narrow way, but it's wide enough for all. It's wide enough that all that choose to come that way. Don't come, you can't come any other way, though. You're not. I don't care what. how many people. I've said it before. I don't care if everybody believes the gospel and that Christ is the way or nobody believes it. That's still the way. He's not going to change it for you or for me. He's provided it through His Son. So we'll talk just for the moment as we close about the need for blood, for a blood sacrifice. And again, if you're taking notes, I'll give you the Scripture, but I'm going to read it. Leviticus 17.11. This is the first time this is really mentioned very clearly in the Bible. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it, listen, I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for your souls. I just want to read it again. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it, the Lord says, to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for your souls. Atonement means to cover, to appease, to placate. Okay, so... Uh, it's a wonderful thing. And Jesus' blood makes atonement for us as well, but it does even more, which we're going to look at. But this is a wonderful thing. Atonement is a wonderful thing, okay? To cover it. The blood of these animals did not wash away sins, but it did cover their sins so they could continue to live and, and with the people of God and worship God. They would sin. They would make the offering. The priests are making offerings daily. There's the annual day of atonement. A lot of blood being shed for sins. And people that did it by faith could continue uh, to function and live and seek after God. Come to know Him by faith. Okay, He, he accepted it as an atonement. He accepted the, the blood sacrifices made sincerely to Him as being sufficient to appease His wrath or judgment on sin. Did not eternally <coughs> save people. The Bible tells us that it's impossible for that. They still had to be saved by faith. And I say it all the time. David got it. He's one that got it. He says, sacrifices and burnt offerings thou wouldest not. 
that's what you wanted, I would give them. What you desire is a broken heart, a broken and a contrite heart, and a spirit, oh God, thou will not despise. He understood it. You wash me. You make me clean. As far as the east is from the west, has God removed my transgressions from me? And so, I'm going to just read some, some scriptures very quickly, but I think it's interesting to say that in that verse in Leviticus, God said, I've given you the blood on the altar to make an atonement for your souls. And so, uh, <clears throat> I'm just going to read these quickly. Hebrews 9.22 And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission or forgiveness. That is a biblical truth. You saw it from Cain and Abel. The first little picture of that, although it wasn't specifically spelled out, we saw it more clearly, more clearly as we go. And then really in the book of Hebrews, it's all cleared up. The, the types of these previous sacrifices were made. Without shedding of blood is no remission of sin. Um, Jesus said at the Last Supper, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is said, shed for many for the remission of sins. Acts 20, 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which He has purchased with His own blood. There's many scriptures similar to that. Romans 3, 25. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Now I'll say this, and, and again, we're bringing this to a close. Sacrifices were offered daily in the Old Testament tabernacle. <clears throat> daily. But all pointed forward to one sacrifice. Daily, 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 daily. You know, they had the scapegoat and they had the, the, the other goat where they put the hands and they confessed their sins over them. And those that were sacrificed and... The, the one that had committed the sin would put his, bring his offering, his best sheep or whatever, put his own hands over that innocent animal. I know it's just an animal, but still, it's a life and it's an innocent animal. And I'm going to confess, put my hands on that thing and identify with it and confess my sins over it, then kill it and offer it up as a burnt offering to God. Uh, those sacrifices were made daily and daily. And they all pointed to one coming sacrifice. Now we're gonna we're gonna be closing with this. Look at Hebrews chapter nine. Might read some th things that uh, were read when we took communion this morning. We're gonna kind of skip around, but look at Hebrews nine, in the, in the chapter twenty-five to twenty-eight. This is speaking about Jesus. Now the the comparison is very clear in, in these chapters in Hebrews between the Old Testament sacrifices and tabernacle and priesthood and worship and Jesus and His perfect sacrifice and priesthood and so forth. Um, Nor yet that He should offer Himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must He often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath He appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this to judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Chapter 10, verse 1. 
For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices, those animal sacrifices which they offered, year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect or complete, or right with God. Skip down to verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. Verse 12. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can do what? Never take away sins. So I want us to be thankful as we're thinking about this right here, that those offerings were made continually. Like I said, I, I mean, I'm just reading this morning in my Bible. I just happen to be reading First and Second Chronicles and the dedication of the temple. And it says that they offered, I think Solomon just by himself on that day that the, te- the temple was built and they dedicated it to God, offered 22,000 lambs and 10,000 oxen or something like that, all for burnt offerings. There was an, a, a tremendous amount of blood. And if you picture it, if anybody in here has ever been deer hunting and killed a deer and cleaned it, you know, by the time it's on the dinner table, that's nice. But it's not a pretty thing to dress out an animal. And can you imagine the amount of blood that was an amount of fire and the amount of burnt offerings just is not a beautiful sight. We think it's just this old the altar and, and, and it, the cross was not a beautiful emblem. Okay, and Jesus hanging on it. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. My point is that Jesus did that for us. And all those those sacrifices had to be offered over and over and over and over and over again, which could never take away man's sins. It would suffice as a covering. But the Bible says that Jesus did this once. This man, after in verse 12, we just read it, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible says that he by himself purged our sins. One sacrifice, that word one is used a lot because it's just Jesus. It's just the one time on the cross. It's not another time he's got him down on the cross or somebody that's going to come after him and finish the work that he didn't quite finish. You know, that we go to, to purgatory and pay for our sins more and more in some future time to come. I'm not ridicule it. I'm saying that God said it's finished. That work is finished. And it's prideful to think that we could add to that. It says by one sacrifice he did it. And he sat down. That means there's a completion to it. That's why he's sitting down at the right hand of the Father. And uh, I'm going to close with this. No matter how beautiful is the Old Testament sacrifice, no matter how beautiful the lamb was, and no matter how perfect its characteristics, it did not serve as a sacrifice unless it was slain. Many today extol the perfections of the Lord Jesus Christ. They admire his sinless beauty and speak of his virtues, his great teaching and his wonderful example. But none of this suffices for salvation. All those things are true about the Lord. But none of those, some people stop short. I don't believe he's God's son. I don't believe he died on the cross. I don't believe he's the only way to heaven. Let's talk about many wonderful things about Jesus, right? But none of that suffices for salvation. Without his death, as, as a substitute, in our faith in his shed blood, there could be no transaction of salvation. 
We can be reconciled to God only by His death, His bloodshed, not simply by the fact that He came and lived. Okay? So this altar that we're speaking of speaks of Christ. This altar specifically speaks of His first coming and the work that He did to, to purchase our redemption. Much more now than now being justified by His blood. How is a man just or right with God? Romans 5, 9, and 10. Being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath from, through Him. For if when we were enemies, enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And we, just, we have these Scriptures. And I want to close with this one Scripture. The altars are open. Reserves are going to be uh, singing and playing. William, if you would come. And I want us to just begin to uh, to call on the Lord and think about the Lord and think about the altar. And we're, this is just one, the, the first of a, a series that we're going to do. But it's a very sober-minded thing. But at the same time, being sober, it ought to cause us to appreciate it's not even the Word. It ought to cause us to be so much more thankful in our hearts for what Jesus did for us on the cross. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God. You see the whole Trinity right there. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living, the living God? It says in Revelation, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred, and tongue, and people, and nation, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. This is all from the Lord. This is what He did. Those other types of sacrifices pointed to it. Thank God they did. They were teachers. They are pictures. They are portraits showing us of Jesus. But Jesus came and He finished it and He fulfilled it. And the Bible says that this man, speaking of Christ, has put away our sins. That's different than making atonement. Christ has made atonement for our sins, but He's done more than that with our sins. The Bible says He put them away. You know what that means? Cancellation. Our sins were canceled and are disannulled. That's how we can look at a man who's guilty of sin, of sin as I am, in a lifetime of sin as I am, and pronounce over me legally without any compromise, just, innocent. He can do that. Salvation is of the Lord. We ought to thank Him for it. Amen? He didn't just take my sins and sweep them under the rug and when things get really bad, they kind of creep out and pop back out. And oh, all that gross comes back on us and the guilt and the shame and all that. He takes them and puts them away. He cancels them. He disannuls them. That's what the blood of Jesus did with the blood of bulls and goats could never do. The altar speaks of Christ. And can we stand and just worship the Lord this morning and come to these altars and meet with the Lord. Thank Him for a few minutes before you leave this morning.
Thank you, Jesus.